This is Radiance Tape Number JD-118, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, The Bold Confession. Praise the Lord. So good to be back into your home, to come and be able to sit down here and to know that I'm speaking to you. What a joy that is. There could only be one greater joy, and that is that I would have had the opportunity to sit with you and to, to see you personally and to to be that close to you. But until the time that God makes that a possibility, either in this life or that which is to come, then I can tell you my own spirit reaches out to you and can sense my nearness to you and your nearness to me. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no time or distance or space. That only has to do with this human world. Now, you understand that to become a son of God, it requires you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe that God exists, in other words, that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, that God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso believeth upon him should never perish but have eternal life. And you accept that. And you accept God's statement about his son that all men must come to him through Jesus Christ. And you receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Now, at that point, you become a son of God. But most people, even though they know they are saved, have no real understanding of their identity. They can say the word, but they don't really understand what that means. They don't understand how to live that light. They don't understand what powers it confers. They have no knowledge of what it means to be a son of God. So there are two facets to being a son of God. One is that which is conferred immediately through faith. We believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are a son of God. But the Bible refers to us like we are babes. We are babes in Christ. We're brand new, newly born into the kingdom of God, and we need now to be trained. So in order to manifest that nature of the Son of God, this will take maturing and training. And I think this is why Jesus uses the word, become sons of God. That's immediately conferred by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is manifested as we learn to walk in him and establish that identity. And all men need identity. Without a sense of identity, we are absolutely helpless. We are totally non-functional. All men must know who they are. It is an absolutely essential thing that we know who we are. We must have a name, a name by which we can be called. There have been people that, for one reason or another, have been in an area or have been raised in such a way that they had no name. They were just given the name of boy or you or something of this nature. And they were very erratic people because they had no name, something that uniquely identified them, something that was uniquely theirs, so that they knew that when those particular sounds were made, some person was referring to them as apart from all the other people upon the face of the earth, and they could say, someone knows me. They know who I am, and therefore I know who I am. Secondly, we must know where we come from. It is a very disturbing thing to a child to not know who his parents are. If a child is simply left on a doorstep with a letter or a, a message, take care of this baby. I, I've had the child. I don't know who the father is, and I'm leaving the child. No name. And the child grows up. 
Maybe in this particular home, maybe it's an orphanage. Maybe the people on whom the child is left at the doorstep, they take the child in, attempt to raise it on their own. But one day they have to say to the child, you are not our child. Someone left you here. We've given you love. We, we've manifested this love to you. But you're not really our child. Well, who is my father? We don't know. My mother? We don't know. What is my real name? We don't know. And there's a great trauma that takes place in the heart and the life of that child because they don't know where they came from. Therefore, in their minds, until they face this thing and come to grips with it, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are, and they don't know where they came from. Thirdly, we must know who we relate to and in what way. And this is a vitally important thing, who our friends are, who our enemies are. In this world, I'm speaking the human world. In the spiritual world, the saint of God has no enemies except the devil himself. There are people who may be our enemies, but we are not their enemies. We love them, and we try to do our best to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them the blessings of eternal life. We pray for them even when they despitefully use us. But in this world, we must know who our friends are, who our enemies are. We must know who mother and father is. We must know who our aunts and uncles and cousins. We must know who our teachers are. We must, all of these things we must know. They're essential that we have some sense of relating. When we meet a person on the street, we know in what way we relate to that person, and they know in what way they relate to us. And all of this is necessary for me to establish identity. Otherwise, I become totally disoriented. I cannot function well in this world. And the four things, at all times, we need a clear frame of reference. And this reference point must be true and unchanging. There must be something by which I can test every idea that comes to me, something by which I can test the thoughts that I pursue, everything that happens to me in life, the circumstances that bear down upon me. I must be able to relate to that circumstance and say, this is like this. And therefore, I have a frame of reference which has been taught me in my youth by which I can relate everything. Now, if I don't have those four things in my life, then I am totally disoriented. And that's exactly what's happening in this world. As the morality breaks down, as the family relationships break down, as we're becoming a more mobile nation, moving from place to place, as knowledge is increasing, they say every, what is it, every 10 years, knowledge doubles, or some such fantastic figure as this. And the old knowledge is thrown out as wrong. We learn something, and we think that's a frame of reference that we can depend upon. We're told something by our parents and by our teachers, and we accept this as true. And then only to find out five years later or five minutes later or five months later or whatever period of time that our parents were wrong. And what they told us and we believed it was true, it's no longer true. And what we believed about our friends is no longer true. And our frame of reference keeps changing so that we begin after a time to become internally very disoriented because we have nothing we can relate to in a solid way. Nothing we can relate to in a solid way. Now, I want to give you a basic principle of how identity is established in a human. Now, if you understand how identity is established in a human, then this will be a basic principle by which we can lead to the spiritual principle that I want to reveal to you. Because remember, everything that God is aiming toward us in is that we understand who we are in Christ, 
and what we are in Christ. That we are sons of God. Sons of God. And that word confers upon it all of the powers and the privileges and the glory of a son of God. Now that means, Jesus tells us, that we are his children. And that all power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And he has given it unto us as his sons and daughters. The Bible says, as he is right now, whatever he is now, and the reason I say whatever he is, is I'm not able to fully understand all that he is. I know that he's Lord. I know that he's Christ. I know that he's the groom. I know that he's the coming king. I know that all things are subdued unto him. I know that the Father's placed everything under his feet, but I don't know all that he is. But the Bible says whatever he is, as he is, so are we in this world. Isn't that a marvelous statement? Now that's what God has bestowed upon us as his sons. Now, to understand how to cause this identity, the word Son of God and all that it includes in it, to know how to establish it in your life so that you will be able to manifest in this dark world that glorious light, which is Jesus Christ, that character and nature and power and glory to be able to take his name and spread it to the ends of the earth, to be able to declare his glorious and wonderful deeds, to be able to turn his promises into living realities that everyone can see and know that God is alive today because God is living in you and God is living through you and that he exists and that you know him and that he knows you and that you are a son of God. Now... This is the teaching that I want to give to you. And so, tied up in this teaching are a basic three concepts that I want to lay down here, and I'm going to bring to you again and again. You're going to see it naturally, and then you're going to see it spiritually. And here they are. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Now here's the first part of the principle, that you believe something in the heart. With the heart, the deepest part of your being, you believe something. Then the Bible says you are to confess something. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And James gives us the third part of that principle, which is really only an extension of confessing, and that is that you act upon it. Now let me go over it again. You are to believe something in your heart. Now it's very important what you believe. You see the child, the little new child, believes something in his heart. He believes whatever his parents tell him. He doesn't know any different. He cannot judge it, analyze it. He simply trusts. Now that same trust, the Bible says, except you become as a little child, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. So we're taught then, according to this principle of Scripture, to believe something in the heart, to confess something with the mouth, and third, to act upon it. This matter of the bold confession, the Bible tells us that from the lips or out of the lips are the issues of life and death, and that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Now, we're speaking of a pretty profound statement here when 
The Bible is telling me, God is telling me, that out of my lips are the issues of life. The power of life and death is in the tongue. The New Testament tells me the same thing, that tongue is an unruly evil. Sets on fire the whole course of nature, and it in turn is set on fire of hell itself. So we see the person without God, or the Christian not walking where he should be, and all involved with things that are contrary to the Word of God, he is liable to speak things and act in ways that actually confuse his identity, so that he does not know who he is. He does not know what he can do. He does not know where he came from. He does not know his purpose in life. And all he thinks is that somehow he must just get through this life, even if he's a Christian, get through this life in some way, and somehow in heaven it will all be revealed to him of who he is and what he is and what he should do and so forth. No, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that right here and right now you can know who you are. You can know what you can do. You can know God's plan for your life. You can know God's purpose in your life. You can be used of the Lord himself. And I think this scripture that I give you now says, as he is, so are we in this world. We do not know what we shall be, but this we know. Oh, now here's identity again. Here's certainty. Here's a frame of reference that's unchanging. The Bible tells us we do not know what we shall be, but this we know, that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that marvelous? That's unchanging. It tells us about our God. See, our parents may change. Facts may change in the world. The world itself may change. But the Word of God, the Bible says, can never be changed because God has forever established it in the heavens. And it will endure forever, unchanging and unchangeable. The Bible says of our God that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, speaking of Jesus Christ in particular. The Bible speaks of God the Father, says with him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights above, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Oh, when you realize there is an anchor, when you realize there is a frame of reference, when you realize there is something you can take hold of and know that not only in this life will it be unchanging, but all eternity it will be utterly unchanging. Then your identity can be established and there can be an anchor steadfast and sure for your soul by which you can relate everything that comes to you and have a sure testing ground. And so the first basic thing then we have given you is that there must be something that you believe in your heart. And just as a little child, you receive from your mother your name, you receive from your father your name, you receive from your parents the various basic things that they gave you about yourself and about the family and the world, and you received it utterly trustingly. So now you're going to have to come to your heavenly father and ask him to develop that same blessed attitude in you. Your intellect has been hurt so many times, your emotions have been so hurt, that as we get a little bit older, we're afraid to simply trust. We're afraid to even really trust the things of the Word of God. We read it, and yet we say, yes, I know it says that, but I know from my experience that. And we're leaving God out of it. Yes, from your human experience, the Word of God many times would be foolish in the things that it requires us to do. As a matter of fact, I think from our human experience, apart from God, it would always be foolish to do what the Word of God tells us to do. But I tell you of a certainty, when God is involved in it, when he's involved in our lives, when his son is living in our hearts, 
And then God says to do something, and we do it, like little children just simply trusting our Father. Like if our Father set us up on a dresser or a chest of drawers that jump off, Daddy will catch you. The child will just jump off into the air, trusting his Father completely. If the Father reaches out and catches him, a greater trust bond is established. He gets up and do it again, a higher place. He trusts his Father. He knows that he'll be caught. If the father steps back and deceives his son and lets him fall to the ground, then distrust will enter his heart, and he'll be afraid to try it again. Well, that's what's happened to us throughout our lives. Our fathers and mothers haven't failed us deliberately in most cases, but they have failed us because they also are human. Our friends have failed us. Our teachers have failed us. Knowledge has changed and disappeared. And our intellects and our emotions are filled with fear and filled with analyzation and distrust. And we need to come to God like little children and say, Blessed Heavenly Father, I'm like a little child. I'm reaching out to you with my hand. Take hold of my hand, Father, and teach me. Well, the first thing that he'll teach you is that his word is true. As a matter of fact, the only thing that is true in the world is what God says is true. What men say is true, maybe or may not. Most cases it is not, because they don't understand truth. They may give me some limited fact, which is true for a little time, but they don't know truth. Only God knows truth because God is truth. And so my whole attitude must come to be that I'm going to be taught out of his word truth. Who am I? I don't know. I say I'm James Durkin. What does that mean? That's a name that's going to pass. I'm not going to be James Durkin in heaven. I'm going to receive a new name, the Bible says. Don't know what that name is yet, but it's an exciting thing. Tells me his name shall be in my forehead. He's going to give me a white stone. I don't know what that white stone means, but it excites me. If he doesn't tell me what it is, it's something tremendously exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Hallelujah. But the Word does give me many things it says about me. And so I sit down at the feet of my Heavenly Father. I sit down at the feet of my blessed Lord Jesus. I open my heart to the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and say, tell me who I am. The first thing that God says to me is, you're my son. Why? I have always been taught that I'm the son of, and then I would name my human parents. Well, I am in the physical sense. That still remains true. And you should honor your father and mother. Never cut them off. I don't want anything to do with you anymore because I have a new father, my heavenly father. That's not right. The truth is we can have many fathers, but only one heavenly father who is God. I can have an earthly father, and I can honor him. Even if he's not a Christian, I can honor him and love him. To a very large extent, obey him, even though I may be 40 and he's 60. I say, well, I'm a grown person. I can make up my mind. But there's a place of honoring your father and mother all the days of your life they should be honored. And the Word of God tells us that. But we have to really trust God in order to do that. Submit to him. Say, Lord, I hear that. But then we come to this place of identity where Paul spoke of himself as a father. And he said, you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you have one father. And he meant that he himself was that father. And then there's our heavenly father, God. And that's the primary one to whom we must relate. And if we do not relate a right to him, then nothing else will be right. And so we hear the word coming from him as we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior And he says to us, our Heavenly Father says, you are my son. Now there's the basic beginning. Say with me right now, I am a son of God. Through Jesus Christ, I'm a son of God. God is my father. Jesus is not only my Savior and my Lord, but he's my brother. 
And that's what the Bible says about it. And just the confessing of it. You see, you believe it in your heart. Just like when you were a little child. You believe something in your heart. Who are you? And you were taught to say, I am your son, mother. I am your son, father. I am your brother. I am your sister. You were taught to say that. And you said it many times throughout your life until it became so completely established. There is no thought in your mind that that could not be true. And yet the fact is, it might not be true. Many children have learned later in life that they were adopted sons or they were orphan children. There's a mix-up in the hospital. So you don't know that. But I tell you, my friend, when you have believed upon Jesus as your Lord, and you've heard from the Heavenly Father through the witness of the Holy Spirit that you are a son of God by the new birth, that you've been born again, that you have been recreated after the image of him that created him, and you know Jesus, and you received him, and God says to you, you're my son. Then you can turn around when I ask you the question, say, whose son are you? You can turn around and say with joy in your heart, joy unspeakable and full of glory, I am a son of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's excitement. We know for the first time who we are. Now, we still don't know what we can do and how we can do it. But the principle is established. The principle is established by which you can know who you are, what you are, and what you can do. And the principle is now like a newborn babe, or if you're an older person in the Lord, coming to Jesus like a baby, and simply saying, Lord, I believe the only truth that exists in this world is the truth that you have spoken, the truth that you reveal. And this book you have said is true. And now I want you to begin to tell me what's true about myself. And here comes that bold confession. Because when you confess it, just like a child hears his name is John or James, he doesn't know what that means, but he simply believes his father and mother say, your name is John or your name is James. And he says, my name is John or my name is James, whatever it happens to be. He confesses it because he trusts that the one who told him that knew what they were talking about. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't even know what a name is. But he believes it. Because he believes in the ones that have told him those things. He trusts them. Now, you can trust your heavenly Father. Now, with that in mind, you can understand the scripture then that says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. By these ye may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The word of God is filled with promises. Statements made by God about you, not about just things in general, about you. They refer to you as his son, you as his child, and they refer directly to you. And as you take the word of God and make it your personal book, you see, the Bible is not just a book of Christians. The Bible is a special impartation of truth to each individual who reads it. The Holy Spirit deals with each individual directly as he is able to receive the word into his heart. And it's not just a universal book that people read for literature or knowledge. It becomes a unique and living book to you by which your heavenly Father is taking you directly by the hand or by the heart, really. And he's saying to you, starting, you're my son, and I'm going to tell you what's true about you. And then he begins to reveal to you from the scripture what is true about you. And each one of these steps, then once he reveals it to you, once the word of God, you read it, the Holy Spirit quickens it, you are to turn around 
and make your bold confession. Now, the reason why it's a bold confession, at that point, you probably don't understand it. See, you believe it now. You don't understand it. You don't see any evidences of it, maybe, in your life. And you're required by God to say it's true. And you confess it boldly. And then you begin to act upon it. Now, let's go back and take our principle again. When you say to a child, your name is John. The child listens to it. He doesn't understand that has no sense of meaning to him. He does not understand what the name is. And yet you say, say it now, my name is John. He says, my name is John. Doesn't understand what he's saying. Doesn't understand what it means. And yet the parents now suddenly respond to him and say, that's wonderful. He knows his name. He really does. And we see that something very good has taken place between ourselves and our parents. Well, the same thing is true of God. God reveals to you a truth. You don't understand it. But he tells you now, come on, say it, confess it, act upon it. See, out of the tongue are the issues of life and death, and the power of life and death is in the tongue. So he's getting you to speak those things which produce abundant life. He doesn't only want you to be alive eternally, he wants you to be abundantly alive eternally. So he begins to tell you what's true about you, and then urges you to say it, and urges you to act upon it. All right, so the first step then is getting you to realize that you are a son of God. Now, the balance of these promises, and they tell me there are about 30,000 of them. I've never personally counted. 30,000 promises, all of these things which are true about you. And as you search the Word of God for yourself and begin to hear these things in your heart, simply believe them. Now, remember, your intellect will fight. Your intellect will say, oh, no, that couldn't be true. And if you would tell some of these things to your friends, they would say, oh, no, that couldn't be true, because they don't understand. But it's that simple believing in your heart, and you're able to say it's just like if God were sitting in the room with you today, and believe me, he is, because he's with you always. Sitting with you in the room today, and were to stop and say to you, whatever your name is, and say, I say to you, this is true about you, you would know that God is true, that he cannot lie. It's impossible, the Bible says, for God to lie. And if he says that this is true about you, even though you don't understand it, you see no evidences of it, you're able to say, if God said it, then I know that it's true, and I can say it. And so that part of the bold confession begins to become a divine reality for you, and you're able to boldly confess what God says about you is true. Now, Years ago, it used to be that I would get up out of bed in a day. I want to show you a very simple illustration here. Get up out of bed, and I'd look outside, and here it was raining. Maybe it was depressing-looking weather, and I would not feel so well, and I had to go to work, and I'd say, oh, another rotten day. You know, why do days have to be like this? And I would get up and go to work, and sure enough, it was a rotten day. I mean, everything went wrong. I got rained on. I'd open the car door and step out, and water would run off the roof and pour all over me. And by the time I got to work, I was in a very foul mood and just went on through the day and say, oh, man, the devil's been after me all day. I've been tormented all day long. Isn't this terrible? And I'd go to bed at night, and I wouldn't even be able to sleep at night because I'm in such a terrible state of mind. And then one day... As I began to practice the principles that I'm laying down to you now, I was reading with an open heart, and I read the scripture, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I read that, and I said, what day is he talking about there? You know, I thought that maybe that's this is the day, some day, and I tried to find it. And then it dawned upon me, God was not talking about a specific day of the week that he had made, that 
every day of the week he had made, and he was saying, this is the day. Monday is the day he made, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day he made. We will rejoice and be glad. And I said, how can we do that? Some days are foul days. Some days are bad days. Some days I have trouble. Lord, what can you mean by that? But God caused my mind to stop asking him what he meant by that and just simply believe him and confess it. Now, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes I come up to a situation, say the devil brought me here, or the devil made me do this, or the devil is working in my life. But the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Then it goes on in another place to speak, not only that this the day the Lord has made, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but it says, but we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord who are the called according to his purpose. And finally, it dawned in this heart of mine after I began to confess it, that in every circumstance, in every day, in everything that happens, God is involved in that circumstance. God is in the middle of it somewhere. And every day is a good day. And it's just literally bursting with opportunity to glorify the Lord and to learn about Him and to have an opportunity to grow in Jesus Christ. And so now when I get up out of bed, believe me, there's no such thing as getting out of bed and saying, oh, this is a rotten day and the devil is really on my back today. I'm looking for God everywhere and the blessed thing is I'm finding God everywhere. Glorious opportunity working in heart and life. And so, I started out a sheet of paper because I'd sometimes forget these things. And then I would take it and I'd read it during the day. And it would start off and say something like this. Today, Father, I thank you for this day because I know you made it. And this day is bursting with opportunity. You're involved in this day. And my steps are ordered by you. And I know that I'm going to walk aright this day because you're taking me by the hand. And today I know that I'm a son of God. That's been made possible through Jesus Christ, my Lord, who is the Son of God. And Father, I know that you... And I would begin putting down the great and precious promises that the Lord had given to me. And I began confessing them and acting upon them. And I want to tell you, you talk about personality changes. My grumpiness began to disappear. My foul temper began to leave me. And the love and the blessing and the peace of the Lord Jesus began to manifest itself in its place because of the confessing of the thing that I believed. I now was believing the Word of God, even though I couldn't understand it, and now I was confessing it with my mouth, acting upon it, and God was beginning to do miraculous things. Well, you see, this bold confession, this confessing what God says is true and acting upon it, leads to the intervention of God in our lives, leads to the moving of God into a situation which is utterly impossible of any kind of fulfillment or satisfaction without God. But when we act upon God's Word, we believe it. When we confess God's Word and then act upon it the way God has told us to act upon or to the best understanding we have, then into that impossible situation comes the living God and He meets our needs perfectly. Well, David understood this. That blessed man of God was faced with this, came out to greet his brothers in the army. You remember the story about Goliath and the armies of Israel? Goliath stood up and challenged those armies, and they were afraid to a man. He, you see, was this giant Goliath, was also making a bold confession. He cursed them by his gods, and they did not believe enough in their God to ward off the evil of that terrible curse. Many Christians in this day and time are going to have to stand up 
to the cursing of witchcraft, to the cursing of other people who are entering into this area now. We're beginning to see the use of evil supernatural things. Movies like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and books are coming out talking about demons and demonology until this fear is beginning to seize the people's minds, and they're becoming ready to receive. Unless we're firmly rooted and grounded in the Word of God, we literally can be hurt and damaged by these workers of evil coming against us with curses and terrible speeches against us. Well, that's what this giant was doing. He cursed them by his gods, and he called them afraid said, send any one man out here to fight against me. And if you win, we'll be your servants. But if I win, you're going to be our servants. And they feared exceedingly. Even the king himself, who knew the Lord, at least had at one time, was also afraid. And David came along, and he said he would fight the giant. Boy, of somewhere around 12 to 15 years of age, and all the other men would not. Now I want to show you something about the negative confessions that the world is literally filled with that hammer against the Christian daily. Now, these negative confessions which come to you are satanically inspired. Sometimes they come to you through your friends, and sometimes they come to you through well-meaning people, but I can tell you if they're contrary to the Word of God, they're satanically inspired. Not that the person is possessed of a devil, but literally the world is just filled with these things contrary to the truth. Just like my mind was filled with wrong concepts about God's dealings with me. When things were not going well with me, I assumed God hated me. But the Bible says, every son he loves, he chastens. I should have been saying, well, thank you, Father, for this chastening. I know that all things work together for good, and you're raising me up for the eternal manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Instead, I fell back on my human reasoning, and I had to say, well, God, why don't you treat me like you do other people? Why are you unfair to me? That was really the charge that I made against the Lord. So literally... All Christians are surrounded by these negative confessions. Well, when David went to Saul, word got to King Saul, and David would go and fight. And he said, bring this young man to me. And here he sees a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy. And here's what Saul says to David. You are not able to go fight against this Philistine, for you're but a young man, and he is a man of war from the time that he was a young man. Now, there's that confession that if David had received it, he simply would have went away, and we probably would have heard no more of David. But David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he had defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And then Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Would not receive anything other than the truth of God's word as it had been revealed to him. Now, you're going to find that David had such pictures in his heart, many of them. Psalm 1 is a typical example of that kind of picture. Now, David goes out to meet the Philistine. Now he's meeting this very large person, nine feet tall, great huge weaponry, a man going before him and protecting him. And the Philistine, when he saw David, 
said, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, this is a type of bold confession on the part of the giant to put fear in the heart of David. See, Satan has no other weapon than to frighten you, discourage you, make you an unbeliever that God is really doing in your life what he says he will do. Jesus is living in you if you've received him as your Lord. He's working in you. There's not a minute that goes by, whether you're awake or asleep, that Jesus is not personally working in your life. And he's arranging circumstances so you're coming up against situation after situation. Take heart. Begin practicing the Word of God. Begin boldly confessing the truth of God's Word. And if you don't immediately see circumstances change, do not let it influence your faith, whatever. Just simply keep practicing the Word of God. And sooner or later, those circumstances will begin to tremble and one after the other will fall away as you see God intervene in that situation after situation. And you'll begin to see all your circumstances realign themselves to fit the truth of God's Word as it's being revealed to you in your heart, confessed with your mouth, and acted upon. The Philistine tried to frighten David. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the earth, threatening him with terrible death, and the beasts of the field. In other words, there's to put a picture in his mind of him being eaten by vultures and the beasts of the field tearing his body to pieces. Fear pictures. Then David said to the Philistine, Notice this calm. He said, Thou comest to me with sword and with spear and with shield. That's the thing to put fear in the heart of the average man. But David knew a greater secret. He said, But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord. Now you talk about a confession of faith. Here's a 12 or 15 year old boy standing there utterly unprotected by the world's standards standing there with a little sling, a little rope sling in his hand, or a leather sling, and a few stones in his pouch. People looking at him intellectually would say, the poor lad, he hasn't a chance against that great hulking warrior of a man, coated with armor, literally encased in armor, shield before him, spear like a weaver's beam, tremendous skill in putting men to death. But David knew something that on the outside you could not see. He knew what God had revealed to him about the truth of God's Word and the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. He said, This day you have defied the God of the armies of Israel. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Now, he's given the giant a picture, too. And that's what David sees in his heart, that that giant is already a dead man. The battle is already over. It's all in the past tense. And I will take thine head from thee, and will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth. See, he's saying they're all looking now, and they're going to learn something, that the Lord does not save by what they think he saves by, by who has the most money or who has the biggest spear or who has the most skill. The Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now, finishing his confession, says, It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. Now, notice the action, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Of course, the rest is anticlimactic, that the battle was over in a very few minutes. And the giant had passed from this world, scene of action, and the Lord had been glorified. I'm particularly blessed with a passage out of the 28th chapter 
of the book of Deuteronomy, where God tells us that we're to observe to do his commandments and his word. And in the 28th chapter, in the second verse, and he says, result of doing the word, he will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Now notice the wording of it here, overtake thee. You see, you start down the pathway of doing God's word. You start down the pathway of practicing his word. And when you first do this, you see nothing in a physical sense. It's all within your heart that you see it. It's within the deepest recesses of your spirit that you see it, because it's God that has said it, and there's no supporting physical evidence. So you start down the road of doing it. But there's nothing that you can see in the way of blessing except the blessing that is in your heart. But notice God's word says that these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. So it's like you're walking down the road Godward, doing his work, and right behind you is this great bundle of blessing rolling right up behind you, and pretty soon it overtakes you and surrounds you and literally fills you. These men use the bold confession. When everything looked contrary to what was required, they used the bold confession. And here's one that at one point in my life, because the Lord had dealt with me in certain areas personally, and uh, I, I did not understand God's dealings. It seemed to me, as a matter of fact, that God really rather just didn't like me that I'd hear of other things that he did for other people and uh, how he blessed them in certain areas, and he didn't bless me at all. At least, I couldn't see it. And I actually contended with the Lord. The Lord, you do this for this person, and you do these other things for these people, but for me, look at the shambles my life is, and nothing ever seems to be happening in my life. Now, you see, if that were today, there'd be no questioning or arguing with God in that matter. Because I've learned, and that the word is learned. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. But in those days, I hadn't learned that. Now, I knew the scripture, but I hadn't learned it. I hadn't learned how to speak it so that it became a part of my living. I had not learned how to do it so that it became a part of my experience. There was also another scripture that is often quoted and taught by me today. But in those days, though I knew it and quoted it, Yet it was a quotation, not a confession. See, it's like I was quoting from a book that I knew about, the quotation of some author, and I would say, well, this is what this author says. It had not yet become what I said, not yet a part of my experience and my confession. And here's the scripture. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. And I did love the Lord. I didn't understand his ways, and I didn't know him. He knew me. I was saved. I had received Jesus into my heart, but I had not yet walked with him in the sense that I had seen him intervene in my life and act in my life. I had not yet learned to love his word so that he was able to speak to me. My heart was not in a right attitude toward him. Though he saved me, yet I was like a little child just beginning to grow up. We know that all things work together for good. Well, I know that now, but I didn't know that then. And you that I'm speaking to today, if I were in your room sitting down with many of you, I know you'd be saying to me, Jim, I've got problems in my life, and it just seems like God is a million miles away from me. I pray, and he doesn't seem to hear my prayers. And I ask him to relieve this heavy burden, and it just gets heavier and heavier. Why does God let this happen to me? 
I can say to you out of my experience now, and I would be able to speak to you convincingly, and if you can let your heart of faith reach out, let me be right there with you now, telling you, exhorting you, convincing you out of my own experience and the experience now of hundreds of others who have practiced these teachings, that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. I remember some years ago, a minister friend of mine came to me, and a great thing had happened in his life that to him was a tragedy. Something had happened that humiliated him and embarrassed him and took away from him his sense of confidence in himself. And I say to you today that that's a good thing to have taken away from you, is your confidence in yourself. You see, we as humans, as humans, attempt to build up what we call self-confidence, confidence in our abilities, confidence in our capability, confidence in our knowledge of how to do a job well. But we need to have that taken away from us, to where our confidence is in the Lord, that it's he that teaches our fingers to war. It's he that teaches our fingers to write. It's he that teaches our fingers how to repair a car or to build a building. And that's our confidence, not even in ourselves, though we have learned it. Yet our daily confidence is in him. Well, this minister came to me, and he was greatly broken up. And he asked me, he said, pray, he said, I cannot stand this. Pray, he said, that God will take the pain out of my heart that I'm feeling. And I had to say to him, my brother, I cannot pray that prayer. I can pray that God will give you the strength to endure the pain. I can pray that God will use the pain to mellow you and make you compassionate toward other people, for he was not an easily compassionate man. There was times when compassion would break through, but mostly he was a very harsh man. And his understanding of the word, he would say, the word says it and you're going to do it. But when it came time, the pressures were upon him. He could not do it. And what he realized that he needed, he needed something more than merely saying, with human willpower, this is what we're going to do. And he said for me to pray that the pain would be taken away. I told him I could not. Because pain is such a necessary thing in our growth. To be able to feel the pain that others feel. To know what pain is. You see, God is not so interested in removing us from the hassles of life as he is in making us compassionate, understanding brothers and sisters, friends to a lost world, that we can find them where they are, not simply say in our hearts when they're undergoing some judgment for the wrong that they've done, merely to say it serves them right, or that's what they should get, or they're getting their just due, but maybe to look out and say there, but for the grace of God, also would be my state of life. And to reach out to them and say, friend, you're in trouble, I know you are but I'm praying for you. I feel the pain that you feel. And when they answer and say, how could you know the pain that I feel? If you've been allowing God to really lead you and you've not been kicking at his guidance and trying to resist the pricks as he moves you along to these places of crises in your life and all of us go through them, then you can say to him, because I've been there. I've experienced what you're experiencing. I know what it's like. And I know that Jesus has mellowed me, has not left me bitter, has not left me disappointed, discouraged. But I have great hope for the future because God made himself real to me. And you are able out of personal testimony to speak to these people the realities that God has expressed to you. Yes, of a certainty, I would say to you, all things work together for good. Even the loss of a loved one. 
even a child that's wandering astray and you can't understand. Or if you're a young person, you've gone to your parents and they don't seem to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, why? How can this be? Trust your heavenly Father. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Well, I was going through a great period of trial in my life. And then I saw this scripture and I began to confess it, made it my own, believed that the blessings were down the road in back of me to be sure. And I was not to pay any attention to look and see if they were coming my way, but to trust God that they would overtake me. And I began to confess the word of God. And here's what this scripture says. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. And I began to confess this with my mouth. If thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. See, that's both the country and the city. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body. I trusted God that the children that he gave me would grow up to be fine saints and workers for the Lord, and that's what the Lord has done. And the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. See what he's saying? In every condition you're blessed. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee in holy people unto himself. So forth and so on. As I began to confess this, I hardly saw any, even little bit of any of this coming true in my life. But I boldly confessed it. I said, Father, if you say that it's true, then I know that it's true. And nothing can change that. And gradually, one by one, those blessings began to catch up to me and overtake me. And then finally, a mighty avalanche of blessings just came and poured themselves out upon me. The bold confession. The confession that changes the circumstances that surround you until they line up to the Word of God. Until they line up to what God says is true. Because what God says is true, that is what is true.